Uh, g'day all, welcome back to Money in the Tank, episode 65 on the retake because we had some technical difficulties last week when we came to you all. So we thought we'd uh, jump up again and redo 65 with a recap on all the craziness that's been going on the markets of late. Arnie's back. Arnie's back as well. So Arnie's we... back as well. Arnie missed the last one, so we didn't miss anything really, Arnie. <laughs> um, while the market's been having such a, a crazy run, uh, crypto's had a run, come up a little bit of late. Uh, talk about the AI boom and what's been going on there and how that's uh, changed the game. We'll talk about the uh, interest rates as well. So we've got um, the interest rate movements that have come up, both Australia and the uh, the Fed uh, late last week, I think it was, uh, in terms of J-Pow and uh, what a hawkish, uh, a hawkish pause means, which is a strange terminology. Um, but without further ado, uh, that's what's coming up on the episode today. So I wanted to uh, introduce ourselves. My name's Joel Siege, Principal Advisor, Harpel FG, to my right. I think that's me, and I'm Arnie, Finance Professional. Hey, Kim, it's yours, Arnie. And uh, Brad's own investor and journalist. So we're looking forward to bringing the episode today to you guys with a whole bunch of information, always general in nature, as with all these things. So seek your own personal advice. This is just for uh, educational purposes, and we try to bring things to uh, our listeners out there, the tankers with uh, easy to understand language with all when it comes to all things money. So um, without further ado, we want to get stuck into uh, the Rifkin's rules of the day. So we've got uh, a page up here, which I'm going to redo from last week because Arnie missed this one. So it'll be interesting to hear Arnie's take. So this is always an interesting chapter, this one on Renee's book. It's uh, Renee on sex and relationships is this chapter. So you always get some interesting uh, facts from Renee. It's um, each member of a partnership must have his or her own space. And the second one is never expect perfection in a marriage. It almost never exists. Yeah, it's not bad. Yeah, no, I like that. And I mean, Rifkin, Rifkin, I think, I think space in a partnership, absolutely. I feel like that takes many forms, you know, the, the people mean about the man cave, but um, having, but you know, women as well having a space that they can you know do something that's introspective and a little bit introverted or or just yeah away from your partner is a good thing i sometimes wonder about how couples go that work together like i work with a few couples who are in each other's vicinity literally 24 7 depends on the work together right because me and Ames work together at nab and at hammertech in the u.s right? yeah yeah but when you don't work as in if you're not working on the same job and responsibility but you're in the same space doesn't really matter because you're working with different people i think if you're working on the same like project or the same like thing like say if you own a business together i think that's when it'll get tough yeah i yeah i know i know i know couples in both scenarios and um and that last one no such thing as a perfect marriage well that's just common sense there's no such thing as a perfect anything really it's just like yeah, you know, you, you can get close though and you've you got to strive for it because that's what makes it good, like your ideals to strive towards perfection. But yeah, Riv, common sense, dropping common sense. Yeah, common sense one, perfection. You're, uh, it's never perfect. You always got to uh, work your way through the journey of the ups and downs and that's what makes life. And, and that's and that's the beauty of it as well, Jolly. That's it, beauty of life, mate. If you, if you have nothing perfection. to strive for. I just right? love these pods in a turn like this. Love it. Philosophical tank. Philosophical awesome. tank, yes. We bring it all. We bring, <laughs> we bring versatility to uh, not just finance topics. We we talk relationship advice as well, um, and we're not psychologists, so don't uh, yeah, don't uh, don't, no, don't, don't expect anything uh, of uh, of that nature. But um, 
seek your own psychological help as you require and need need help cancelling. Um, anyway, back to the episode of finance. So uh, as we said at the start of the episode, we want to touch on the interest rates of what's been going on of late because there's been a bit happening there before we get stuck into the AI stuff. And don't forget to hang around at the end for a 50-50. Arnie, where can the tankers get us at as well? And uh, what do we want to get from them from a subscribing standpoint? Yeah, please get us at Maynard Tank on YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And on YouTube, if you can like, comment, subscribe, and click the bell, because then you'll uh, you'll see when we we release an episode. And we love the interaction. Throw us a 50-50, throw us a QA, and a or just give us some feedback. So yeah, cheers, tankers. Right. And also, we had a, a, a listener question from last week, which uh, we, we wanted to bring back up again. We forgot to mention Arnie at the rundown of the show. Yes, we do prepare for this. Um, it was a question from Mark regarding... Uh, fixed loan terms coming off this year and what they should be doing around fixed loans. So um, we'll obviously chat to that generally in nature about fixed loans and how they work and uh, where we where the markets, you know, where the interest rates might be going in the future. So we'll cover that off at the end of the episode too. So thanks for sending any questions, uh, listeners and Mark, for this one uh, this week. It's great. Um, so without further ado, RBA, uh, I think it was last week, the week before, raised rates by 25 basis points to 4.1%. Um, I think this one was more of a surprise raise. I think the economists and the banks uh, largely uh, were tipping towards the scale of not raising uh, in the June, the month of June. But uh, yeah, the RBA have come out and raised 25 basis points. And then uh, the minutes have just come out the other day uh, talking about Governor Lowe and they were interesting minutes because I think they were on the fence around what they felt they were going to do with interest rates um, when they when they did raise them last last week. So just having a look at the the board minutes. So June six was the meeting, um, and they they raised the rates, which surprised the market. Uh, and the central bank said in the minutes that it was necessary to raise interest rates in June to ensure high inflation did not become embedded in wage and price expectations. Uh, and after the release of those minutes, the Westpac, NAB, ANZ, uh, and I think CBA as well, reiterated the predictions that the bank will raise rates again in July. Uh, and I've also read somewhere else July and August, which is uh, which is very interesting. But the, the actual minutes themselves, the meeting showed um, in June, it was finely balanced. So it's sort of interesting that uh, the minutes are saying that it was finely balanced, but then the, the big banks have come out and predicting that they're going to raise again in July um and maybe august so what are your boys thoughts on that we'll go to arnie first yeah i i think i think you're right that they sort of did signal that they were close to a pause i think they were taking into account our domestic economic conditions uh, among other things but when they were talking about that i know that they mentioned that there has been a significant slowdown in the first half of this year domestically about what people are um spending on and at the same time like in, in conjunction with that consumption, you're also seeing the the price of housing. So house prices and rents increasing as well. So people are um, sort of getting hit doubly, like they're having to spend more on shelter, but also can't spend as much as they would like to on retail consumption and things like that. So whether or not they will hike again, I think it's all going to be data-driven and dependent and they're going to have to sort of see is it coming off as quickly as we would like to? And at the moment, it's not like, it's different to other places in the world. I know we're going to discuss America soon, but I, um, yeah, it's just, that's that's my sort of take on it at the moment is that I think they will probably have to hike another one or two times because our cash rate is lagging a lot of other developed economies and we're just not seeing the impacts that we want to see. Brad? Yeah, look, 
I think we all actually said it. Even though the economists are saying they think they're going to pause, I think from memory, we all called that they're going to keep going. Um, I think the reason was uh, unemployment rate. I mean, they talked about it time and time again, which is they're aiming for an unemployment rate of about 4.55% um, to take the steam out of the economy and sales. And I, um, I know that is a horrible sort of thing to say in all the news articles. I'm loving the headings at the moment. It's like sacking fury mounts of RBA. Uh, out of touch, mamma mia. Women's agenda. Work more cut spending, out of touch. Um, so, like, you know, he's been saying the same thing, which is... Um, he thinks people need to spend less, start saving more, um, and cut down on um, consumption. And I don't think the sales figures are showing it. I don't think... Um, I think we're starting to show like, inflation is becoming more entrenched into the economy, which is something they don't want to do. And while they've got the levers of unemployment to play with, I, think, I don't think he's going to um, keep pressing the button. Whereas in the US, you had our unemployment jump from 3.3 to 3.7... Uh, which was a good result somehow um, in terms of, I think I think it was going to get higher. Um, but there's some analysis on the jobless report there where they've been um, adjusting it for excess deaths and seasonality uh, the last couple of job reports. And so it'll be interesting to watch what the analysis flows through because they're thinking that their employment rates probably more so in the fours. Um, and that's because a lot more people are going for um, coming back off the six weeks and applying for... Um, it works a little bit different in, in the US how you actually um, calculate the unemployment rate and get and get um, support from the government. Um, but in Australia, I think he's still got some uh, some some lengths of time to go before... Um, and so they probably are going to keep, are going to keep pressing the button because they don't, the last thing they want to do is have inflation get entrenched. That's just the last... Arnie. Arnie, back to us. Yeah, I just you, you stimulated a few little thoughts in the old brain hole there for a second when you're talking, Brad. And um, I know interestingly, what one other thing that's been mentioned a lot by the RBA in particular, and then some of the media has the pundits have picked up on this, is that corporate profits are also going to all-time highs or close to all-time highs, like record profits, at the same time that our stock market is almost reaching all-time highs. And then you're getting this rhetoric coming out from people like Governor Lowe and the media saying people shouldn't be seeking wage increases, corporations shouldn't be giving wage increases because that's going to fuel inflation. And what do they mean by that? It's a phenomenon which has been documented in other countries where they've had high inflation, which is called a wage price spiral, where they do get these um, large increases in profit. We see these large increases in cost to the consumer. The logical... Well, people demanded at that point in time, money. Well, yeah, know, well, the, the, the higher profits, I'm paying higher amounts, so I need to step. I need yeah. equal. It's logical, profits. right? Like if if I if I've got rising cost of living and you've got more money to go around, then that money should go to me or some of it, right? And then, but people say that fuels inflation. It all comes back to what all three of us discussed on the pod before the inflation really hit, and we were talking about the supply chain crisis. Um, inflation is a phenomenon of supply and demand not being equal. And at the moment, we are heavily focusing on the demand destruction of interest rates because that's what's having to occur. And it's really the only lever that central banks can pull. That's, that's only one. But, but, but the other side of this coin is, is this really the way to get out of inflation? I would say, my opinion is no. It's a short-term fix, but the real way to get out of this is growth. And that's always traditionally been the way to get out of it. So you need to 
grow with efficiency at a lower cost and get supply to outpace demand to bring prices down. That is the way you would solve it for the long term. But Arif RBA. But is uh thank you very much. But is but is but at the moment they, they're doing what they have to do. So yeah, we'll see what happens. And, and the only thing they do have to do, well, the only thing the RBA has is uh, interest rates. Whereas this is more of a physical, physical government uh, one to fix. Anyway, Jolly, over to you, mate. Yeah, no, because I think I mean, great points there, guys. I think unemployment's just ticked up a little bit in Australia. It's, it was at three and a half, which is an all-time low, maybe three, three and six now, three point six. Yeah, three six. Other um, May. Yep. So it's still tight. And I was reading something the other day, which I hadn't come across before, it was an economist uh, article it talked about uh, inefficiency in labour as well. So they you can have tight labour market, but if it's not efficient per hour, um, that leads to Arnie's point: is it's got to be efficient. It's got to be growing. Um, to ensure that um, the market's working itself out with de- supply and demand, because you could have a tight labour market um, with inefficient workers, uh, because it's just there's enough jobs out there to suck up the inefficient people that you know aren't going to output as much, which then creates an inefficient economy. So uh, without getting too technical and digging into jargon, it's um, yeah, it's a fascinating time at the moment, and we've got about. Uh, uh, same article, 400,000 net migration. This I was just about to say that. So, you know, that's going to be bring a lot of, a lot of it will be students. There will be some skilled migrants in there and there'll be a lot of students in there that they'll, for one, suck up more rental accommodation. Uh, and then two, they'll suck up more casual jobs and more jobs. So if the job market is, net, is, is already tight in terms of, um, you know, uh, there's, there's more employers seeking staff, then that's going to get um, you know that's going to get even tighter. So it's going to be an interesting time uh, when it comes to the economy. And and I guess as you said, it's it's the only lever they really have is, is interest rates, and they've got to try to act quickly because they um, they don't want it to become ingrained, and they don't want people to start accepting these prices. Uh, look, I think discretionary spending is coming down a bit, and I think people are feeling the pinch when it comes to you know fixed costs like your rental and your mortgage. You can't do much about those costs and. You know, rental is one of those things that's unfortunate that, um, you know, that's sort of more of a government inflicted type thing with undersupply of housing. So rentals just ramped right up again in terms of cost of living. And it's a large chunk of that uh, cost of living for the for the normal discretionary uh, dis- uh, person uh, consumer spending. So, yeah, it, there's so much to play out still. I, I still think that interest rates by quarter one of 24, we'll be starting to talk about them coming down. Yep. Yeah, I reckon. So, uh, yeah. so I think that's on, on point. And uh, I'd say to the, the people in the is uh, watch the government's bill currently. They got shut down. They can't be uh, the double dissolution, uh, dissolution around uh, community housing and building. Uh, but it's going to be an interesting one with the Greens, starting with the Libs on that one, the Coalition, um, to knock it down. And that's the government spending $10 billion over the next 10 years and creating a fund to create more housing to try and... Um, and the Greens are saying it's not enough. They need another, I think, another 10 bill, another 30 bill, I think I was saying. Um, so it'll be an interesting one just to watch for the um, housing housing prices. Mm. We'll see. Will it be enough? Uh, I think government only accounts for a small percentile of uh, community housing at the moment. The the large well, obviously, one. This one's obviously going to be shutting that up. <laughs> 90% plus is, uh, yeah, is privately funded by uh, people, property investors. So... Um, Do you know much about this one, Joel? Did you find it created by the government for um, low-income housing? Say again, sorry, Brad. Do you know much about this one? The um, the government's ten billion dollar fund that they're putting together for uh, what's going to be more now um, to build low uh, low income, build one point four billion dollars worth of housing a year. 
Yeah, I was reading about it the other day. I don't know what percentage that'll then allocate to them as as them funding kind of uh, housing for for rentals. So I think at the moment they're less than five percent is government funded uh, housing, and ninety five percent is made up of private mum and dad. Well, it's more of like the um when they approve a new building, they say that to the um, developers you have to make ten or twenty percent of this building low income. Yeah, that's what it usually is. Um, so yeah. that makes it makes it more private driven. So like in the same development in say Richmond at Hamilton Marinos, you know, on the river there, you will get kind of last ten percent of those beautiful apartments going in for low income. Um, yeah. which is the way it is. And, and I don't know if they've investigated the the uh, what is it called? The the American setup of the buy to buy to rent. Build yeah, to- build to rent. That's happening here in Australia. At the moment, yeah. builds the rent. It's happening with the big developers. It's not really the government. Um, it's more like the big, big developers are doing that. Are seeing it as a a sturdy uh, eight to ten percent a year on year uh, investment. Yeah. Going up, and it's going to be interesting to see what what happens over the next kind of three to five years in Australia. What alleviates the uh, the issues? Well, they need to stimulate that area of supply because if they people haven't got housing and accommodation. Um, you've got homelessness, which is not good for any country. And then you've got, if you're trying to build migration up and you're trying to get people to come here then and to grow and grow efficiently, if you can't supply them with housing, they won't come. And people that are already here won't be able to afford to live. So you know, they need to do something about it. So anyway, that's uh, right. a big macro thing, that one. Anecdotally on that, boys, just on that little thing and i can't remember if we discussed this on the pod but i was having a chat with a mate of mine who was talking about buying an investment property down the peninsula and airbnb it for the times of the year that they were not using it as a holiday home and it got me reading about the issue not just in australia but globally about how towns like that struggling to support the workers who work in like the local jobs in the cafes the supermarkets the, the hairdressers or whatever because there's nowhere to live even from a rental perspective, because everything is like a lot of the majority of those properties are used as Airbnb now. Um, so I do. We'll think about doing that on Travis property out of Phil Island. That's why we're in Perth looking at the engineering of it because the return on investment you can get now putting structures on property compared to like normal rent is crazy. So they've got to do something about it. But it's, it's an interesting one because you've got to sort of forecast out like how long will you get that yield for before the local economy collapses and then no one wants to go down there anyway because there's no amenities and services. So it's interesting. Those like Philip Island's not going to collapse. Well, mate, it depends on how far it tips. Like, but I'll never say never. Would, would, someone, would someone want to commute an hour to work at a coffee shop on the peninsula if they're not living there? Yeah. You know? What's taking there, Ali? Oh, that's an interesting one. So we'll see how that plays out. But yeah, so what? So next topic, boys, what is it, Jolly? Yeah, so we're going to pick crypto up to, I guess, just um, in terms of um, the next bit, before we get to some of the AI conversation and what spurred this market. Um, just oh, magnificent back, seven, yes. From an, from an economic side of things, just off the back of interest rate rises, the recessions that we're starting to see occur now. So we did, I just jotted some notes down there, I think, We've seen New Zealand uh, um, record two consecutive quarters of negative GDP growth. And I think that a revised figure in there. So they're technically in a recession now. Uh, I think the US, we said we're bordering on one. Bordering but not, yep. It's expected. It's expected yeah, expected early likely. next year. So the UK and the US are poised to fall yep. into recession um, Q1 next year, they think. Yep. And I think uh, yeah, other countries in Europe may already be there as well. Germany, Germany is, Charlie, yeah. Yep. 
Yep. And then, um, and another tidbit I, I found out the other day, I didn't even realize interest rates in Japan are still at zero. They they haven't raised interest Love rates. Love it. It's fascinating. They're, they're a fascinating economy. They're uh, they're an outlier. It's what uh, it's what demographics is. Uh, it's going to be. If you want to have a look at demographics, that's Japan. Obviously, was the first country to go through heavily stuff, and South Korea to follow, and China to follow, and then Germany. It's going to be interesting. The next thirty years, demographics is going to play such an interesting role in global economics because. We won't go into this episode, but we'll do a big episode on our demographics. It's going to be big. But um, the UK obviously obviously, um, has got the same. uh, They're a bit scared with their their debt cliff as well and their mortgages. So they've got even more than Australians um, coming off in the next six months, coming off their variable rate onto, uh, sorry, off their fixed rate onto variable as well. So globally, Mm. it is, uh, yeah, heading down the. Recession path. Yeah, and Japan's historically had an older, uh, an older aging population, which was back in high school. I remember, you know, this is twenty years ago now. Feeling very old. That was that was the case with Japan. They were low interest rates, and they'd always struggled to spur economic growth, GDP, and inflation. So it doesn't sort of didn't surprise me they're still on zero interest rates. But it was um, yeah, fascinating the current environment where everyone's raising all around the world, and they're still. Still zero. So um, yeah, so that's sort of and where Australia will be from a recessionary standpoint. There's uh, a decent chance now, I think, if we're tipping the scales, it's probably over 50% chance, but not not huge in favour, but I think there's a chance we'd slip into recession. Uh, it may only be a light, mild recession because of uh, the, the bolstering of our uh, economy and the commodity prices probably helping uh, energy and uh, lithium and the likes. Those things are sort of helping, I guess, maybe keep us out of uh, recession. But uh, yeah, it might, we may go into a mild one. Yeah. And I guess just before we do move on to the AI stuff, we're just re- worth mentioning that the Federal Reserve in America did hold their funds rate at five to five point two five percent. Hawkish pause, honey. Hawkish pause, as you mentioned, and they did say that they they signaled that they might have two further rate hikes before the end of the year, which would bring their rate up to five point six, five point six ish, I think. Um, no, so it's yeah, it's an interesting one because I think we discussed a couple of pods ago whether or not it would be hard landing, soft landing, or a no landing this scenario. Is the one, this is the Wall Street running real way with anything. It's just like I'm literally not still being hawkish. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you and I, all, all three of us actually have discussed at times some of the things that are occurring and how it doesn't really make sense that the markets are rallying to all time highs because there's still a lot to worry about. Um, but You'll be right, but yeah, but at the same at the same point in time, if America can thread the needle and hold rates at a sufficiently elevated level while they see inflation coming off and grow the economy, they might they might get out of it. It depends on what's going to occur with this commercial real estate um, debt war, yeah. because we've already seen the banks fail once. That could make the banks fail further, and that crisis is still playing out. So it's interesting. And some of the commentary just quickly on that that I read was was fascinating with the hawkish pause and the threat of future rate rises. The markets are even predicting that he's throwing that out there as a scare tactic that he won't raise again. And it's uh, it's more to say, stop spending. You're going to get more rate rises if you keep spending. Uh, and that's what I always believe it's that. You're going to be in more pain. So whether that's a similar thing with the RBA as well, the RBA is going to have to come off the back of what other countries do to an extent, but... Whether they're throwing out like a, a an angry teacher or a parent, you know, stop spending. We're going to keep raising. You're going to keep getting in trouble. Um, so maybe it's a scare tactic, but we'll wait and see what comes of that. I also, I get any cheap house about the uh, bluff. 
I also, it might be a bluff, but I also wonder when it comes to this kind of thinking amongst people who run the, run the show at the Federal Reserve, they know that it isn't an instant gratification thing where they raise rates, problem solved. They know they have to get it to a point and hold it there. Like Jay Powell said that multiple times, but all the time, whenever there's like a slight backslip or a bit of bad news, people always get on the front foot and go, no, need to hike more, need to hike more. It's not happening fast enough. Well, it's not, it doesn't happen overnight. It's a gradual thing. So, yep. you know. You can have to jump out. Yeah, well, I don't know. I don't know if I'm a big fan of his. I think he's always acted late. But at the same time, if he pulls off a no-landing scenario as the Fed chair, he might be the greatest Fed chair of all time, even if I don't like him. I do think he's made some mistakes, but, he, you know, can't can't you got to give credit where credit's due. So if he, if he pulls it off. he pulls off a soft landing, sorry, Arnie? I mean a no-landing jolly. Like if their GDP grows and they get inflation back down to their target rate and they avoid any of these catastrophes that we foresee on the horizon, like the commercial real estate po- uh, bubble popping, you know, they, they might not have any landing they might just take off again and just go back to no landing issues just in yeah. and out that's right just just I mean, a little just a little dip and then back up unwind, the unwind their balance sheet bring inflation down and just like just land it beautifully don't, I mean, it, don't even need to bring out the uh the landing uh wheels just, uh, pick, just, pick them up, pick just them up. pull up on that on that stick j power but i do think oh, brad you just touched on it though like there's so many issues and the balance sheet and their amount of, the amount of debt they have is like astronomical so do, do I believe they'll do that? I don't know. Anyway. Anyway, on the AI guys, so um, we were chatting before the podcast, and yes, again, we prep before this podcast. We we get all our facts and figures out, uh, thanks to Google and thanks to some information that we read during the week. And Brad had an interesting tidbit on what's been pushing the market, but more importantly and interestingly in the current environment, it's not necessarily what's pushing the whole, oh, sorry, the index is being pushed, but what's underlying of that index and how minute this, the the specific shares and stocks are that are pushing the whole index. And I guess we're referring mainly to the S&P 500, which is the standard pause 500, top 500 companies in the US and the NASDAQ as well, which is the tech yeah. side of things. So um, Brad, did you want to talk a little bit about how that's been, um, uh, I guess this calendar year, how that's run so heavily? Yeah, the, um, the dubbing it the Magnificent Seven. So... <laughs> So we're talking about uh, Alphabet, Apple, Meta, NVIDIA, name of gods, uh, Amazon, Microsoft, and Tesla. Um, those seven stocks have a surmounted of over 90% of the S&P's 500, the top 500 companies, uh, 2023 rally. So the rally this year in the, in the S&P 500, 90% of that can be allocated to those seven Stocks. So, there. Um, the seven stocks. Uh, index is up four point two. Sorry, the uh, S P gains this year is two point four trillion, and of that 90 percent of that is uh, those seven those seven stocks. Apple's five hundred and point nine billion dollars in added market cap is by far the greatest of the seven stalwarts. Uh, though each stock is up more than twenty percent in date, with uh more than one hundred seventy five billion in market cap. Gains a piece. So, I mean, look, there's you got to remember the, the the Nasdaq and these tech stocks are the first ones to get absolutely smashed. Yeah, I was going to say that they came off. And a, they were they came they off was, a tough 2022, didn't yeah, they? they? Interest rates and whatnot. You had your um your multiples and all that just absolutely smashed on these. Um, with interest coming up, growth stocks got 
leveled because as a part of the growth stock, um, you know, calculation of multiples there, obviously the, the cost of interest rates <laughs> gets factored in over the longer term. And um, even if they perform at the same amount over a long period of time, your overall kind of growth multiple goes down. Um, I'm happy with this because we're going through uh, a couple of raids with Hammer Tech later this year. And uh, the longer this lasts, the better, because hopefully we get some re-ratings for, uh, and it hasn't happened yet, but hopefully we get some re-ratings in the uh, private markets off the back of the stocks and their gains. But um, yeah, but I think but it's... Is the, is the market, do you think the market is predicting and saying to us that the AI, um, the AI game that's coming into play here, the, the AI, artificial intelligence is far greater upside than what the these short-term interest rate issues are that these tech companies are going to be seeing. I think it's one of the underlying... I think the market is saying that we missed... I think we missed a few things. I don't. I think the market's saying that we missed how big of change AI is going to have on well, the I, overall... I read the other day that they, they, think, they think that AI is... Uh, just as big, if uh, same sort of bigness as the web coming, like the World Wide Web back in the nineties. Like they say of... that AI could add sixteen trillion dollars to the global economy by two thousand and two thousand and thirty. But um, you know, some people say generative AI alone, um, four point four trillion by twenty twenty five. That's PwC and McKinsey and stuff. Look, at the moment, the markets are saying there's obviously a large um, misread by both the people that were leading AI um, and also the markets around how much of an impact it will have on productivity and um, add to the global economy. Um, and at the moment, that's why the markets have rallied around around the tech stocks, right? Because they're obviously the ones that are going to be most applicable to and the ones that are going to be in the best position. Also, I think Google being the leader in AI... I think one one of the good things that has played out is Google being the leader in AI in terms of uh, the application language, so not in terms of their hardware. But that's obviously where NVIDIA is uh, crushing it at the moment. NVIDIA seems to land into like crypto, and then like crypto goes big, and then crypto dies, and they land in AI now. And NVIDIA just seems to be like every every like unicorn that pops its head up is just like another unicorn down to the little stallion. Um, but uh, I think. Um, you've got Google's Google when OpenAI released and kind of beat Google to the head in terms of the race and the release to the general public because Google were a little bit too scared for um, what back backfire could actually have on their business initially. That was Microsoft's but, Chat GPT, yeah. Uh, well, OpenAI Open was a company that started off. I mean, Elon was one of the original founders of it. Um, and it started off with the idea that, you know, it was going to be open source, um, open source AI. And then over time, Microsoft made a $1 billion investment, then a $10 billion investment. And um, now it's, it's not so open AI. Um, and so they they released the market and I guess wowed the world with what is possible. Google slipped at that point in time with its, um, its own launch that week. Um, but then what happened, you saw is like... Uh, ChatGP and then ChatGP 4 came out and then you had a couple of other things come out around like other tools to blow the market away. And then Google came back after that and said, all right, we're really launching now. <laughs> we've got our stuff like lined up. Lambda came out and blew the world away again, right? Saying, 
not only can you do this, but now you can do all of this. Here's here's our Google Connected world in which we we uh you know we we we've been playing with for the last like five years. And I think that's what's really blown things up, which is you had a small company kind of released to the market and tested and taken risk, and then you had when I say small, I mean they're still taking on billions of dollars investment, but then you had Google come back and say, "This is what we've been working on for five years. Now we're ready to launch it." And here's the power across all our applications that you haven't even seen yet. And this is what's coming. And then you had NVIDIA release kind of some of their new hardware and what's going to be possible using generative AI in terms of speeding up the their performance. And I think it's just shown in all these different facets how much it's going to be touching our lives over the next couple of years and the significance of it. So we're not just talking about like increases of 5% and 10% here. We're talking about like orders of magnitude um greater and so yeah that's my quick my quick spin on it. i think why the market missed it that's why i think it's built money back into it i think like anything it's just my personal uh thoughts and you know general advice and all the rest of it just like the internet boomed in the early 2000s and every man and his dog and a lady with her cats uh, put money into cisco thinking that cisco and Cisco basically owned all the underlying infrastructure and routers and all the rest of it. Cisco was the hottest. Cisco was the NVIDIA of the early 2000s. There is a way of sometimes overstating how quickly we're going to move to these things. And look, things are getting quicker and quicker and quicker, but we are we have a habit of creating bubbles. And so I think it's going to be an interesting one to see if this one, we've totally underrated it again, and, and we are going to be adding 16 trillion, and therefore we've still got so much growth left. Or if we have like shot ourselves an injection of $2.4 trillion worth of added value into, into the market, thinking that value is going to come, and it doesn't necessarily come as quickly as it should. But anyway, that's enough of me talking. Over to you, Arnie. Arnie? Yeah, it's an interesting one, and I think um, I think what we're sort of seeing, and I know that all three of us on the pod have given a perspective on this in the past about what the future holds, um, and just for disclosure purposes, I hold Meta, I hold Tesla, and part of the play... With the, and I hold Intel. And part of the plays with those stocks, I don't hold NVIDIA, sadly. I wish I did, but I never never found an attractive price. And at the moment, its current valuation is too rich for me based on the prospect of potential future growth. But it's funny for me to say that because I've always I've done a lot of debate and a lot of argument around Tesla around this same sort of point where people will say, well, Tesla's valuations are too rich. Why don't you sell out? Or why didn't you sell out when it was at its all-time high? You truth, Elon. Well, truth be told, I did think about selling out of Tesla when it hit all-time highs, but he didn't let it stay there for long enough before he opened his mouth and crushed the stock value. And it was <laughs> it was back down. And I thought, well, I've been here before with Tesla dropping, you know, like a lot. So I'll just hold because I do I still do have conviction in Tesla. And when Brad talks about how far who, off are they from their high, Arnie? Uh at the moment, I think they're about I think they're I haven't looked, but I think they're trading around 270 a share. And I think, I think it got to because it was there was a split that happened in between there, so I forget what it was. But I think it's all. Let me actually, Brad, can you have a look what the all time high for Tesla is like? Like, I will look at it now. Thanks, mate. Yeah. Um. So what I was what I was getting at was these AI stocks. I think they're going to attack different parts of the market. So you've seen things like Microsoft, OpenAI, and Google Bard. Uh, have these large language models, and they're going around that direction. And I know that they've got other stuff going on as well, like Google 
for example, had Waymo. I don't know what the status of that is, or they were trying to do like um, okay, yeah. sorry, yeah, four hundred nine ninety seven. Yeah, four hundred nine. So it's so we're we're a good. Uh, we say forty percent off. Yeah, um, yeah. So they they were trying to do that, but what, the way I view it is, you have got these like companies doing one like specialty. So they're doing like a large language model or the stable diffusion kind of things with the prompting, and you can get um, text based generations or picture or video based generations. Then you've got things like Meta and also Apple with their release of their um, headsets who are going into this metaverse function, which I think will be ancillary to AI. I think AI is adjacent to metaverse and this new way of computing. I think they're envisioning that, you know, the old traditional desktop or laptop will probably go away and we'll just have these goggles that will be a computing system. Then you've got things like robotics. So you've got like Boston Dynamics, you've got um, Tesla, among others, who are trying to solve for like the robotics arm of this. So uh, cars being self-driving, and obviously Tesla is nowhere near the leader in this, but they've got the biggest. So when I say they're not the leader of this, they don't have the most advanced self-driving system, but they do have the most real-world data at a level two training set because of their full self-driving program. So in theory, if they get approval, they could ramp up quickly. But at the moment, they're not the leader. But they've they've got that aspect. And then you've also got um, their Optimus robot, which at the moment, it's a bit of a meme. People laugh about it. They say it's not very good. Uh, And we have, and and truth be told, we haven't haven't seen a lot of what it can do. And when you compare it to something like a Boston Dynamics, where they released that video of that robot doing flips and throwing heavy tools and stuff around, like you could see the real world utility on a construction site. Obviously it won't be able to do like fine motor skill things, but it will be able to lug heavy shit around that's not breakable and and help humans. So when you've got all these parts converging into AI, um, I do understand the hype. There's huge potential for growth. It also is a a convenient, easy answer to a lot of the problems we talk about. Like we were talking about demographics earlier and aging populations, how that would affect everything and how that would affect growth. Well, if you've got AI and robots coming through that can do the work, and then we can focus on taking care of people in a healthcare sense. You know, it's it's an answer to those problems. Um, yeah, go on, Brad. It's actually really, really interesting. It was just a conversation I was having yesterday um, about how far, I guess, generative AI and robots are going. So my guy for lunch yesterday is looking for investment and um, in the ag for Porto, so farming space. And um, basically they've come up with a, um, a platform that, that takes in um, old government mining data, farming data, all the rain data, all the weather data. Um, it uses satellite data every single day that goes over the top and can work out moisture, so if there's any leaks going on. It uses um, AI around pest control, so it can work out if you've got like a fire ant, you know, blow out over there, or you've got crop, whatever, over there. And then it sends a drone, instead of you spraying your whole field now, it just goes in and like just locks onto like that 4% of the field and isolates like the pest problem more, knows you've got a water problem, and fixes it there rather than fixing it across the board. And uh, they're saying, like, you know, it reduces input costs. Um, and that's what farmers really, where a lot of money goes. It reduces input costs up to, like, 90%. Um, and also we'll be able to tell farmers what to plant where um, based on, like, taking samples of the soil using drones and measuring, the, like, the carbon content and the rest of it and working out for the next three years this is the best crop to grow per, per acre and the rest of it. So that's the sort of stuff I think that is happening right now that we're not even aware of that I think this this robotics and AI um, 
kind of is, is coming into play. It's coming to play everywhere, and it's right. kind of it's fascinating. So I just wanted to like, yeah. And let's say it's happening now. It's not like futuristic. It's not like it's it, yeah. it's working. Yeah. So yeah. it's a great uh, wrap up to this to this topic. I think if we tie a bow around it, some cognition of time. Um, I want to say I want to say one more thing, Jolly. Just just uh, anecdotally, it was just very funny. Our mate Hori sent me a picture today from Wall Street Bet saying that on the Kroger earnings call, which is for people who don't know, it's like a supermarket chain in America. They mentioned AI seven times on their earnings call. And it's like, what could they possibly be doing? But like, oh, yeah. it's, it's, a, it's a laugh, right? But hearing what you were saying about farming, Brad, there probably is applications for AI in, in supermarkets. But anyway, we'll cover that another day, Jolly. Carry on. Um, Brad, if you can uh, give me some screen share uh, action, mate. I've got one thing to share with the listeners out there, hopefully the watchers out there on YouTube. Uh, Apple Vision Pro goggles and uh, Macho Man. Uh, is it Macho Man? Uh, yes, yeah, Macho yeah, Man Macho Randy Man. Savage. <laughs> Always out of his time. So he, he should get some kind of uh, royalties from Apple for <laughs> stealing his, his copyright of his... Uh, his and you can see his eyes as well with the Apple ones. That's amazing. So, that is so uh, good. That is so good. But I'd share that one with the listeners. And uh, yeah, just, just to tie a bow around this and probably jump on the back of Brad's there is, uh, and Arnie probably would have heard of it as well, is there was a chess championship back in 2016, I think, with the the, the World Chess Grandmaster versus an AI uh, chess um, uh, competitor. And and the AI beat the, um, beat the human. And I think, uh, interestingly, a tidbit to that is the the human got put off by the AI's move, but it was an accidental move. It was a very unusual un- chess play, which it was actually turned out to be an accident. But anyway, on the top of that, uh, this this sort of article podcast I was listening to, it was, it was more of an advisor type and an SME type one as to where our AI will come into play with businesses. And they sort of use this chess example as a good point is AI would potentially in a, in a, in a, in a scenario be greater than human by itself. Um, but human with uh, human with AI intervention or AI extension will be greater than AI by itself. So um, it's a, it's a fascinating AI augmentation is going to be huge. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a fascinating thing as to where AI as an extension of the human how much more efficient and powerful and better at business and better at things we'll be able to be. So uh, I think we're only scratching the surface. So we'll we'll see where it goes, guys. But um, great topic. And uh, I'm sure we'll, that'll come up more and more again. So listeners, any questions you have around that, feel free to reach out and, and hit us up. I think we uh, move on crypto next week, boys. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And yeah, we'll we'll move it up 50-50. Any any rapid fires you want to oh, hit up? Fire, sorry, do you want to, do you we'll want to we'll do rapid fire. Yeah, rapid I'll, do rapid, fire. I'll do rapid fire quicker, then we'll do the quick Q&A, and then we'll do 50-50. So there's, it's not many, pardon me, there's not many um, rapid fires today. So the Pentagon has said that their Ukraine accounting error has revised up to $6.2 billion. Blinken has said that the US does not support Taiwan independence during his China visit. In, Intel is going to build a $25 billion factory, its largest foreign investment in Israel. So that's in addition to their massive foundry investment in America. Musk says Twitter's video app for smart TVs is coming. Goldman has called markets too optimistic on the pace of the inflation drop. And Binance has made a deal with SEC to move all US customer funds and wallet keys back onshore. There you go. Great rapid fire. We'll continue that conversation while they've done that next week. So watch this space. Good, good. good. Bit of crypto, bit of crypto. Um, so yeah, in terms of the question, listener question this week, uh, we did touch on briefly with interest rates and whatnot. So the question came from Mark. 
loan uh, home loans coming off fixed loan this year i think it was towards the end of the year you mentioned uh is it good idea or viable to refix again or uh, is it viable to flick over to a variable and as we always say it's general nature and seek your own personal help or personal advice but I guess when it comes to fixed rates more broadly, when we're coming into an environment where the rates are going up and up and we're getting to a point where maybe they're getting close to their peak and you're coming off a fixed loan into a higher variable, if you were to lock again now, you're potentially locking in at a higher rate cycle and higher rate environment. And you you can sort of see that, I guess, they, they tempt you with a two and a three and a four year fixed loan at potentially a lower rate than the variable that's because the actuaries behind the scenes are saying, we're going to get a win off that if this consumer locks in at a fixed rate that's discounted to the variable that they're going to get now, because we see where the rates we feel are going to be going in three and four years. So that's always a good indicator to say, well, okay, if the, if the four-year rates are actually lower than what I'm going to flick over to a variable on, the actuary is saying that they think rates are going to be back down here or lower at a variable at that time. Um, obviously, individual circumstances change because... Some people might need to know and need to have a definite outcome of what their loan repayments are going to be and they can't afford to have. And that that's a that's a personal situation that is obviously different uh, person to person. But um, that's just more broadly in terms of interest rates and how the actuaries work and how those fixed loan, um, I guess, those fixed loan enticements come out of three and four years to say you can get five and a half as opposed to flipping over to variable at six and a half or whatever it may be at the time. Um, they're just my two cents on that. Anything you guys want to quickly touch on with the with the rates for, for Mark? I got something to say. I'll go first. Um general in nature, but if it were me in my situation, I would not be thinking about locking in. And in my own personal situation, because I was planning on selling and buying, I didn't lock in even at the lows, even though I was well aware and cognizant of it. And I and I have to ride the variable rate rise, but I do think cuts are coming sooner rather than later so yeah i wouldn't be locking in i think this is near the top even though we, there probably is a few more rate rises but i think we're near the top um uh you know what 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 can what can people do if they're going into mortgage stress um potentially you could be thinking about interest only you could be thinking about refinancing at the same rate but getting a buffer in cash to tide you over you could be thinking about um uh, you can flick your, you can flick your refi uh, over to a longer term, so you that, yep. that then stretches the loan out. So on top of what Arnie was saying there, if you've got say twenty two years to run and it's starting to get tight, you want to flick it out to thirty. That'll reduce your repayment amounts as well and potentially get a lower rate. Potentially some cashbacks. Banks are always keen on business and lenders are keen on business. So and uh, you, you have a chat. You got to chat to your bank too, right? Like they can help you out in certain niche short-term scenarios if you're under mortgage stress. So don't, I'm not saying, not suggesting Mark's in that scenario, but that's just things that pop into my head when we talk about this issue. Yeah. Rattles? Rattles? It's, it's yeah, you, you covered them off. I think um, the key is, I think that you can take your loan over a long period of time to reduce your dollar amount. Um, if that's certainly stressing you out, you don't necessarily have to lock it in right now. Um, for mm. amount. I mean, with the, with the forecast, we've probably only got maybe a couple more to go. I wouldn't say, who knows? Because we've seen seen a few rate rises, um, and we don't know what's going to happen in the global economy. But I think you can err on the side of uh, we're not going to have it you know, another thirteen in a row, probably. Um, so you know, unless the rates they're you know offering a, some sweet sweet fixed rates over a short period of time, like two years, I wouldn't be going anywhere near it. There was I've had some of my um, friends have like significant kind of. Um, 
offers over two years, and obviously that's the actuaries there going, oh, we think we're going to have a bit of a play for X amount of money you know, in our portfolio and hedge X amount into that category. And I'm like, yeah, if you get if you get that, like, you know, about 150 basis points off where it is now, I'm like, over the next two years, grab it, because I don't know if we're going to be back down 150 basis points anytime soon. Mm. Uh, but, um, you know, I haven't really seen too many of those situations where it makes it look like you know we might be coming back down yeah. early next yeah. year and a couple a couple of 25s here and there so yeah, yeah assess, assess the risk reward and i think you're right there with a one or a two year fix the the risk reward's not as significant as maybe doing a four or five and you you end up being well above what the variable goes to so uh, do your due diligence and just think of property or sorry debt as a the underlying asset is generally property um, and it's a short-term pain for hopefully a long-term gain. So getting yourself through a short-term period of pain with higher interest rates and maybe we're at the peak, maybe they've got a few to go, but then long-term gain is getting through that period with some of the different options that Arnie's just mentioned there and Brad to allow you to be able to stay in that asset class for longer. Um, and that'll that'll help uh, work, its way, work its way through and work itself out in the long run through wealth creation. So General nature, great question, Mark. Very topical. Very, uh, yeah, a lot of people doing it tough out there. So it's a, uh, it's a great question, and just people in general wanting to know about loans and and what they mean and how they work. Um, so in terms of the fifty fifty this week, uh, boys, we've got a a topical one which uh, is may not be cut and dry. It might be cut and dry for us, but there's a few. I think there's some debate out there in terms of the long running series of comedy uh, sitcoms. We've got the two main big ones, Seinfeld and Friends. Uh, where do you guys sit on the ledger of Seinfeld or Friends? If you were to only able, if you're only ever able, able to watch one of those sitcoms for the rest of your life, uh, which one would it be? I'll tell you. Uh, Seems though I was showing Kramer and the Underground Horse Shower Salesman. Um, we're gonna go Seinfeld, just because there's just too many uh, everyday human traits that need to get. Um, a light shine on them, and it's still hilarious today. Don't get me wrong, Friends is awesome. Love Friends, love it. But uh, you know, Seinfeld. Yeah, I, I think Seinfeld is a top three show all time, any category, not just comedy. And I and I do like Friends. I think Friends is funny. I think it hasn't aged as well as Seinfeld. I think Seinfeld yeah. has aged really, really well. Like you can still watch it, and it's hilarious. It's still cool. Um, I also. Yeah. Yeah, it's so it's exactly it's so good. I've also heard people say like they prefer something like Curb Your Enthusiasm, and my answer to that is always like, yeah, I love Curb as well, but without Seinfeld, Curb wouldn't exist. Uh, it's I like don't it's, know what Curb is. Curb Your Enthusiasm is Larry David's show. He's one oh, of the yeah. creators of Seinfeld. Um, it's yeah. a very a very similar comedy, but it pushes the bandage because it's sort of like it's more it's like a, it's like a more modern, more cringe version of Seinfeld. It takes some of that cringe comedy aspects, like the, the Office yeah. and stuff made yeah. famous. Whereas cringe comedy, it's got its place, but I think that will age poorly. I feel like Seinfeld is classic forever. So yeah, I'm Seinfeld all the way, Jolly. I would, I'd put friends in the bin in a heartbeat. Yeah, Seinfeld all the way for me. I think you get ten seasons as well, whereas Friends, Friends might be six or seven. So you've got more, you've got more breadth of uh, series to get. Well, it it up beautifully. Um, but I think chatting at poker on Friday night to one of our friends, Snowy. Shout out to Snowy. He was Friends all the way. So we'd like to hear from listeners to see whether this is more in line with what we think it's three to zero here or it's three to one if we include snowy or is it more of a 50 50 so um interested to hear their thoughts and rhymes and reasons oh, special guests in the pod yeah <laughs> it's, uh, 
Yeah, it's a polarizing topic, friends versus Seinfeld. Uh, I would love to call Snowy for a 50-50 segment just one week and just call him and ask him. He could be the unofficial fourth 50-50 member. Bring him in. Should have brought him in today. Should have brought him in today. Yeah. Um, great, guys. So coming up in the pod next week, we're going to touch a bit more on the crypto, what's yeah. been going on in the world of crypto, the ups and downs of that, what's happening with Binance, why they've stopped accepting AUD uh, cousin, mate? payments. Uh, very interesting. And uh, also, we've got a, a, a friend and colleague or friend of, of ours uh, that Arnie met as well on Friday night, Ash, who's an investment advisor who deals with uh, high net worth and in investments specifically for, for individuals and, and, and uh, uh, structures. So we're going to get him on to uh, talk awesome. uh, about the investment world and what's coming up and just a macro view and, and some of the interesting investments that they keep an eye on as well. So I think that'll be uh, quite good and uh, topical for the listeners out there. So without further ado, we'll tie a uh, wrap up around this episode today. Uh, listeners, where can they get us out, Arnie? Yeah, get us at Main the Tank on YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And please leave a like, comment, subscribe on YouTube, and hit the bell. Absolutely. And we'll be we'll be back next week with episode uh, 66 to bring you guys all more things in finance and money and uh, anything fun and exciting. And so, I'm sure some more 50-50s and rip controls as well. So look forward to seeing you guys then. Yeah, Cheers, yes. boys. Bye. Thanks, guys.